And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, I just want to read uh, verses 1 and 2 again. This is Romans 13. It says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. I just kind of let that sink in for just a second. There is no authority except from God. And those, who, and those that which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now, verses 1 and 2 tell us that government is important. It is actually God-ordained. God establishes government and God is sovereign. Do you know what that means to say that God is sovereign? That means he has, he has all power. He has all wisdom. It's one thing to have all power. What if you use that power wrongly? No, but he has all knowledge, all wisdom, and all goodness to use that power for, for good, for ultimate good. He is the one that is in control. Now, without a doubt, our main biblical mandate as individuals and as the church is the gospel mandate. We are to make disciples. Now, that comes right out of the Great Commission that we find there in Matthew 28. So that goes without being said. Our number one mandate is the gospel mandate. However, Jesus went on to say in that same verse that we are to teach them all things that he has commanded. Now, all things, that's pretty encompassing, isn't it? That's no little task. Beyond the gospel mandate... We also have a cultural mandate that God gave us all the way back in the book of Genesis. And that mandate is to have dominion over this earth. Now, that cultural mandate begins in our homes. It extends to our neighborhood, our city, our state, our country. And it includes the functioning of government. Now, the United States is what we call a democratic republic. And that means that its citizens elect its own representatives. Now, our cultural mandate from God is basically to participate in our elections. That means we've, we've got to vote. Now, it's not only a privilege to vote. Based on this mandate, it's actually a responsibility so that we can fulfill this cultural mandate. Now, Christians are often surprised to see that uh, the Bible has great toleration for a wide variety of governmental systems. Now, this includes patriarchal, as we saw with Abraham, tribal, like early Israel, uh, theocratic. Uh, I mentioned this uh, Wednesday night, and the first one that, that uh, Travis mentioned was theocratic. Yeah, that's, that's from Joshua to the to, um, to, through judges up to the kings. And then you have kingdoms, which are kings. So you've got Saul, David, Solomon, all the way through those lines. Uh, Caesar, he was, this was a kingdom in that sense. You also have representative bodies. This is like the Sanhedrin of Jesus' day. It's a ruling, governing body. And of course, you have an absolute dictatorship, <laughs> as in the millennial kingdom. All right? Now, we need to begin by understanding that God is the foundation of all government, regardless of the type. He establishes or he removes those in positions of power as he pleases. King Nebuchadnezzar found this out the hard way. 
In chapter 4 of Daniel, uh, God had judged him for his pride. And after seven years of being out in the field, being drenched by the dew and having his hair grow long and his nails grow long, he was eating grass like, like an animal. God gave him back his reason. And Nebuchadnezzar then blessed and praised the Most High. And here's what he said. For his dominion, God's dominion, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now, you, you just got to think about that for just a second. Nebuchadnezzar, before this seven-year period, was the number one kingdom on earth. He, he, he would be like the president of the United States today. Okay, that's what Nebuchadnezzar was then. And here, after being humbled, Nebuchadnezzar says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what hast thou done? He's God. He's sovereign. He's the one that's in control. Now, the ramifications for, uh, of this for democratic republics such as ours is, number one, those holding office, they need to be humble. God put them off in office and he can take them out in a wide variety of ways. Number two, those running for office need to be more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing men. And number three, Christians can be at peace regardless of who is in office, good or bad, because we know that God is ultimately in control and he will accomplish his purpose. Now, since the origin of governmental authority is from God, Christians should submit to God as long as doing so doesn't require them to disobey God. Christians should be models, models of good citizenship. But our first allegiance is always to God. But that very fact... <laughs> will be the reason that some governments will actually persecute Christians. Now, Paul continues in verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So, according to Paul here, the very first purpose of government is to, to promote what is good. Now, Roman rule, this was in Paul's day, it could be oppressive, it could be cruel, yet for the most part, Roman rule brought, brought stability and security for those who did what was good. Now, a government that causes those who do good to fear... Mm. they're in direct violation of God's given purpose, and they're in danger of God's judgment against them. The prof prophet Isaiah warned ancient Judah about this, and he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, if God's going to uh, judge his chosen people for this failure, then all of the other nations had better take serious warning. Well, the second purpose of government stated here is to be the cause of fear to those who do evil because they, the government, bear the sword as an avenger who brings wrath upon those who do evil. Now, the sword represents authority of the ruler to punish evildoers even to the extreme of the death penalty. 
That's what the sword was for. And what is true of the most severe penalty is also true for lesser penalties. Now, notice that verse 4 specifically says that the ruler is a minister of God to you for good. You don't often think of your public officials that way, do you? But it is true nonetheless. All government officials are ministers of God in this respect, regardless of their own personal beliefs. Now, why isn't that an important point? Well, because every government official will have to give an account of their stewardship of that office to God one day. Now, if a government will not fulfill its God-given duties, then he may chastise it or even replace it with another, as he's done many times in the past. Chastening can come through natural disasters. That's what happened to Egypt just before the Exodus, remember? Or by oppression, uh, like other nations uh, during Israel's time of judges and kings. They had, to, they had to fend off many nations that God sent to them to discipline them. Now, Paul goes on in uh, Romans, beginning of verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. There you have it again. Devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Now first, we're to be in subjection to uh, government out of both fear and conscience. Uh, we don't want the negative consequences of breaking the law, right? But more important for Christians is having a blameless conscience before God and man. This was one of Paul's greatest goals. And Peter said that this would silence or put to shame those that would slander us. Well, second, we pay our taxes. Even Jesus paid uh, taxes, though he, he could have claimed exemption as the Son of God. And he said to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, while we should work toward making sure taxes are fair and used properly, we still pay them. And we don't cheat even when they are corrupt and used wrongly because that could bring <laughs> dire consequences against ourselves and it would also bring shame upon the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, we're also to render proper respect to authorities. Paul mentions fear and honor. This includes following proper decorum and protocol such as proper courtesies, proper speech, respectful gestures. Well, in a democracy, citizens have a direct function in government. Therefore, they have responsibilities and privileges. We have the responsibility to help select our representatives and the privilege of addressing them and petitioning the government with our concerns and with our grievances. So, how then do these biblical principles apply when we consider who to vote for and the issues that should be of the most concern to us? Well, over the last 30 plus years, economic issues have dominated the political landscape. But that's not to be our first priorities. Taxes and economic systems, they're not specific biblical concerns. Now, there are many biblical principles to guide economic systems, but we must determine our priorities by issues on which the Bible gives us really clear commands. Now, our top political priorities are the moral issues. Remember, government has a twofold purpose of promoting what is good 
and punishing those who do evil, good and evil. It's moral issues we need to be concerned with. Now, we've got to remember that it's God, not society, not any human institution that determines what is good or evil. God shows us which is which in his commands, in his principles and precepts of his... I just... I'm dying. Boy, that's, that's deep in my pocket. Hang on. Gosh. Okay, get it out. Give me. Don't have any idea. All right. For example, let me give an example. A just judicial system and execution of murderers, that's more important than tax rates on businesses or individuals. You see, God is going to provide for those who seek first his righteousness and his kingdom, regardless of what tax bracket they're in. But his judgment, it abides on those who pervert justice. Moral issues such as protection, justice, and moral integrity, they're higher priorities than economic issues. Now, while God sovereignly sets in office the individual of his choice, either as a blessing or a curse, our responsibility in a democratic republic is really twofold. First, because the government representatives are chosen by the people, we have to be serious about voting and then vote for the candidate that would best reflect godliness in his position on moral issues. And second, we must stand in opposition to governmental representatives, officials, and policies when they are clearly contrary to the teaching of God's word. So first, as citizens of a democratic republic, we have the responsibility to choose and influence our government, governmental representatives. In a real sense, our government and its decisions are reflections of the people, and so we as a people bear the responsibility for it. If the government officials are corrupt and evil, they were elected by the people, and so the people are getting what they deserve. However, as Christians, we also have the responsibility to see God's standards upheld. Now, we're to work hard to have evil and corrupt officials just replaced by godly ones, maybe by even yourself. Now, the establishment of a godly government is a blessing on all people. Proverbs 29.2 tells us, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. Now, while we've got to be serious about our responsibilities in electing and influencing government, we've also got to be careful not to fall into that trap of substituting the quest for a godly human government as a quest for the kingdom of God. They are different. There are theologies that teach that man will bring about God's kingdom on earth through establishment of proper human government. That's simply not true. Just a cursory reading of the book of Revelation or consideration of Jesus' words in Matthew 24 tells us that things are going to get a lot worse before Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. Well, second, we've got to stand in opposition to people and policies that are contrary to the clear teaching of God's word. It's wrong to take God's sovereignty in some divine, mystical sense by which it's thought that God approves of whoever gets elected and therefore we are to submit without opposition. Now that not only uh, fly, or has the danger of resulting in fatalism, it's contrary to the biblical examples that we have. 
The prophets, they didn't follow that example even when the king was specifically chosen by God. Do you remember Samuel? He confronted King Saul because he didn't carry out the commands of God and was therefore rejected from being king. But Samuel called him out. What about Nathan? This is many years later, right? He confronts King David about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. John the Baptist, he called out King Herod uh, simply because, uh, and he did it publicly, because Herod violated God's moral law by taking his brother's wife. Now, the fact that neither Jesus nor any of the apostles advocated the overthrow of the Roman government, that doesn't abrogate, that doesn't dismiss the responsibility to oppose ungodliness in government. Jesus pronounced many woes on the scribes and Pharisees, right? uh, Sadducees, many of whom were in the Sanhedrin. That's a governing body. In John 19, Jesus pointed out the guilt of those who had brought him to Pilate, but he still held Pilate responsible for his judgment. Now, when God's moral laws are transgressed and his purpose for government, when they're not fulfilled, it's not only right, but it's necessary to speak against those things. Since political candidates are going to be a mixture of various moral standards... It may be rare to find a candidate that rates well on everything. Some candidates and issues will be choices between bad and worse. But there are issues that are downright evil and must be opposed. Now I want to quickly go over some of the major issues and give you some questions that should be in your mind as you evaluate the issues and any candidate for any office. Number one is life. The first moral priority is life, human life. God is the creator of all life, and all human life is made in his image. So all human life has inherent worth. They're valuable. That's why God prohibited murder of human life and required capital punishment for those who do commit murder. Now, the Bible is also clear that human life begins in the womb. In Psalm 139, David tells us that God formed you in your mother's womb. God said that it was while Jeremiah was in his mother's womb that he knew and consecrated Jeremiah. John the Baptist, he recognized the presence of Jesus and he leaped for joy while both were still in their mother's wombs. To kill a baby in the womb is to destroy the work of God. It's to attack his image. Abortion is the murder of a human being, just as infanticide and euthanasia. Yet there are candidates that advocate all of those things as acceptable. They're okay. I didn't know if you don't know if you know this or not, but it wasn't until the Born Alive Infant Protection Act in 2002 that infants born after a failed abortion were protected from being murdered outside of the womb. Prior to 2002, if the abortion didn't go well and the baby came out alive, they would just kill the baby. As if six inches makes a difference. As if location makes a difference. Oregon and Washington, they've already passed laws legalizing euthanasia. Now here's some questions to consider. What value does the candidate put on human life? What protections does he advocate to defend human life? 
Is the candidate pro-life, indifferent, or pro-abortion? You don't hear much about pro-abortion, do you? But most people that are pro-choice are either indifferent or pro-abortion. They rarely support informed consent and waiting periods. Now, those that will not protect the life of the most innocent and helpless among us, a baby in the womb, they cannot be trusted to protect anything else except their own interests. What is the candidate's position on euthanasia? Do they uphold capital punishment for those convicted of murder? These are important, very important moral considerations to be looking for in a candidate. Number two is protection. Protection encompasses both internal and external threats. A police force and local militia, they protect against local threats, while armed forces protect against threats from other nations. Now, true enough, armed forces can be used by evil men for evil purposes. We've seen that in the past. That very fact proves the necessity of having armed forces to protect us against those who would do us evil. Now, the founding fathers of the United States understood this, and that's why in the Constitution they enumerated the need of an army, a navy, and a militia. They are there to suppress insurrections and to repel invading enemies. Here's some questions to consider. Does a candidate understand the protective role of government, both locally and nationally? Does he advocate law and order? Now, police should be supported in their protective role while being restricted from becoming oppressive themselves. Does the candidate understand the necessity and proper use of armed forces? Now, we should strive to avoid war when possible, but when you can't, there's got to be the ability to wage it with clear purpose and objectives. Well, number three is justice. Government has the responsibility to establish and execute justice. And to the degree that a government deviates from God's standards of justice is the degree to which it is failing. Tragically, the United States is failing in many ways to carry out justice due to political corruption by which laws are either ignored or changed to benefit the politically favored class. We also have judges that rule based on what they would like the ball law to be rather than what the law actually says. Now let me quickly point out that so-called social justice, justice is not biblical justice whenever it's an effort to bring about an equality of outcome. God has not gifted all people uh, equally. And so equality of outcome is impossible without forcibly taking from some and giving to others. Now the word for that is stealing. True social justice is an equality of opportunity or fairness in the application of the law, not equality of outcome. Justice also must be carried out with the right attitude. Micah 6.8 succinctly says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does, the requ- what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, this statement encompasses what you do, what you desire, and what you are. It's humility in walking with God that brings about the proper kindness and mercy that temper justice. We're to be merciful because God has been merciful to us. However, mercy without any justice is actually injustice and an abandonment of the protective role of government. 
some questions to consider. Does the candidate uphold the rule of law? Does he advocate the interpretation of law according to what is written and its original intent? Is his advocacy or opposition to a law based on biblical standards or something else? Now, there are many other biblical issues that could be addressed and should be applied to, a po to politics. This sermon is only to prod you to start thinking according to biblical values and priorities rather than political ones when you're voting. You're never going to find a candidate that agrees with you 100% unless you're the one running. We have to evaluate carefully and make the best vote that we can. Now, as Christians, our first priority is always to please the Lord, to trust Him to bring good out of any situation, even when they're not to our liking, and they may even be antagonistic to His stated moral will. Now, while we want our candidate to win and may work hard to achieve that, our primary goal is to please the Lord, not to be on the winning side. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would challenge our hearts uh, to take um, our responsibility in government seriously. For most of us, that means that, yes, we, we, we pay our taxes. Uh, we can't hardly avoid that, and we get in trouble when we try. Father, we, we elect our representatives. And here in about eight or nine days, uh, we're going to be doing that nationally. And God, I pray that you would just be with us as we make our decisions. I pray that, uh, God, that you're, we know that your will is going to be done. And in light of that, give us hope. Give us encouragement. Regardless of the results, you are still seated on the throne in heaven. And we give you praise and glory for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, this sermon was just to kind of prod you to think about if you have... Let me ask you this, and don't, I'm not, this is a neither good or bad. How many have already voted? Yeah, most of us have. Um, I don't know, what's it up to now? I, I see a daily thing, but I didn't look this morning that tells us what percentage. Does anybody know? Did anybody look today? It was like 35, 36% a couple of days ago. That's over a third have already voted, and we, you know, it's good. We're to be involved in that uh, portion of politics because we are responsible, right? So we, we have a biblical mandate. Now, what this, what this sermon did not do was uh, talk about that gospel mandate. And I struggle with that. I talked, I talked with Debbie about it, okay? There, there's a lot of truth in this sermon, but, the, you know, I don't feel like Jesus was lifted up. Now, being good citizens is part of the teaching that we have been taught through God's Word. So it's a good thing to learn about these things and hopefully to be prodded, right, and to think serious and to make wise decisions. But let me tell you, Jesus is the king of the universe. Uh, God sent him to this earth, you know, some 2,000, a little over 2,000 years ago as his answer to human sin. Man of sin. Paul tells us we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. And I don't mean just once. I mean enough to fill books. It's crazy. And that sin has separated us from God. And Paul tells us that, yeah, the only way to bridge that gap between us and God is through the cross of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to live a perfect life which he did, so that he would be a fit sacrifice upon that cross to die for the sins of humanity. 
And he did that. And as I mentioned, I think it was just last week, he didn't do this and offer it to us as something that, well, if you will do this, I'll give you this. No, it's a free gift. We call it a gift of grace. You just have to receive it. You have to believe in Jesus Christ and trust that he did exactly what he said he was going to do or said he did. He died on that cross for us. He shed his blood for our redemption. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, you need to. You need to turn to God. You need to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You need to trust Jesus Christ. He'll make you a new person. If you're a believer, uh, I just hope that you've been challenged this morning. Um, You might want to talk to some friends who are thinking about not voting because they don't like either candidate. It really doesn't matter whether we like the candidate or not. Uh, And I'm going to step on some toes here, and I'm sorry. I've got to do it. Um, I do want to, if you can pull it up, go, go to, the, go to uh, floor, uh, flfamily.org. I want to re- recommend this video to you. It's put, by, put out by the uh, Florida Family Council uh, here in Florida. Makes sense, right? And it's got four speakers, three of them I know. Al Moeller, president of uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Wayne Grudem, one of the foremost theologians in our day. Five of our six uh, Baptist seminaries use his systematic theology book. This man is highly respected. The third is Dean and Sarah. He's the pastor of City Church in Tallahassee. The fourth is the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, another huge church. Okay, there it is right there. It's called the Culture Wise Church. You can click on that and watch this. I encourage you to watch the first 15 minutes, which is Al Mohler. I can sum it up very quickly. In 1960, you were voting on a man. When you compared the policies of the Democratic and the Republican Party, they were, they were almost identical. There was not a single Democrat in America at that time that you could have went to and say, do you think abortion should be legalized? Every one of them would have said, no, staunchly. That's where the country was at. The two parties were equal. They were voting on a man in that election, and they chose JFK. Folks, that is not the case anymore. You're not voting on a man. You are voting on two parties that represent absolutely opposed world views. I'm not going to say any more except you need to choose the one that has world views that reflect the morality of what we see in Scripture. They are worlds apart. doesn't matter about the man anymore. You, you look at what one party is shooting for and what the other one is and... Mm, okay. I don't have no idea where that came from. Watch that video. It's very good. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.